picture this scene. You're lying on a bed at home, surrounded by close friends and the people that you love, your family. There are tears, but there's also some laughs. You've made peace with all of the things undone and unsaid in your life. And you're about to take your last breath. This moment will be painfully sad for those who love you and those you're leaving behind, but it's not unexpected. In fact, you've decided that this is the very moment to shuffle off this mortal coil, to say goodbye to the most important people in your life. And that's what's happening on Relate. I'm Tamara Stanners, and this is Relate by Zendesk. Today's episode is very special and also very hard. It's about something we all have to deal with eventually, and some of us sooner than others. Producer Andy Shepard is here to explain. So I think this story, uh, I mean, I guess you could say it's about two key relationships, a, a daughter's relationship with her father and a father's relationship with his own mortality. But it's also, it's a part of a really important conversation that's going on about end-of-life care. You know, when when your doctor, when modern medicine says, look, there's nothing more we can do to save you, uh, then what's next? Right. Do you let nature take its course or do you intervene? Yeah, and obviously this is not a simple philosophical or ethical or religious subject. I mean, it's difficult, right? But this story sheds some light on one man's choice around his own death. So Ray Perman has been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. He's legally obtained end-of-life medication. And Ray is now deciding if he's going to end his own life or if he's going to let the cancer overcome him. So the thing to know here, Ray is a former pilot, and he's speaking to producer David Swanson here, and he's recalling the ancient laws of the sea, which dictate that the captain will do everything in his power to not lose control of his vessel. The laws of the sea are extremely old. And the biggest, most remarkable law is the captain shall exercise every ounce of energy, every ounce of intelligence, every ounce of everything he has in his body, not to lose control of the vessel. To not lose control. Ray here? He is. He's on his way. Wonderful. Hi, I'm David. Andrea. Andrea, nice to meet you. How are you, sir? I'm a little out of service this morning as caveat. I had a rough day yesterday. I had really bad pain last night. Yeah? Uh, I have a short REM sleep, but I woke up this morning and I just could barely open my eyes up. I just feel like I'm just... I mean, if I put my head down right there, I swear I'd be dead sleep in 15 seconds. This over here. Would you mind pushing my chair forward a little bit? Sure. Get a little closer. Okay, one, one, two, three, scoot. 
Test, test one, two, three, test, and there's one, two, three. My name is Ray Perman. I have terminal cancer, and I have been issued end-of-life option drugs so that should I choose to, I may end my life with dignity. Test, test, one, two, three, test, one, two, three. On my walk up the driveway here, um, I noticed something in the back of your car. Could you tell me what that is? Oh, what's in the back? Oh, it's my wheelchair. You know, again, I have limited standing ability, limited walking ability. That has to do with the neuropathy. And if I want to be at a party, I want to schmooze and be with my friends at the party too. So, um, I've, uh, so it's nice to have a wheelchair where I can enjoy the cocktail hour and move around. You don't want to just sit in the corner. I just tell people, you know, I'm having a good time. Don't worry about me. You know, and if I'm not answering the phone, it's because I'm either napping, love naps, or I'm not having fun. Of course, I'm, I'm you know, being a little bit loved to death, not to be egocentric, but a lot of people keep checking on me to the point where, like, I, I can't answer the calls. Please, you guys are killing me. <laughs> I know that you're, you're quite uh, an adventurer and uh, an explorer and a risk taker. So um... I was a blessed child of a Pan Am pilot. My father was. Um, he flew the uh, famous Pan American Airways flying boats off of Treasure Island out to the Orient. And I was this lucky child to be at his office on the floor as just amazing amounts of data and maps and information and the whole, everything you could possibly imagine about aircraft is raining in, down on me in discarded maps and diagrams as well as navigational charts. So you're learning about all those things. So my, my intention was to have my first career as flying. And uh, I uh, had been born in Germany. And one of the best things you could do, as the Germans know, is to learn your first phase of flight in the glider, because that's where you could really recognize what's going on with the aircraft and with the air currents. So what's it actually like being on a glider up in the sky? Uh, it's delightful. First of all, most people who are up there for the first time think it's going to be silent. It's not silent. It's kind of like driving down the freeway with maybe your window slightly open. It's a howling and whistling. But it's also so peaceful. There's no engine noise. Is there a sense of fear or, or anxiety? Well, there's always a sense of fear and anxiety in everything we do, but the point is you can control it. The laws of flying are taken from the laws of the sea. If the airplane's coming apart, you're experiencing exponential decay in the, in your, in the system you're operating. You don't quit, you don't quit, you don't quit. And if it's clear you can't make port, you do the next best thing. It's either controlled beaching, it's a controlled crash, but the goal is always to minimize loss. Minimize loss. That is it. <sighs> you know, the, one of the hardest things about cancer is a sense of um, disassembly of your own body. The first cancer that was discovered is sarcomatoid carcinoma. It is a rare form of cancer, and it's, a, it's incurable. It's a terminal form of cancer. It's fast, it's aggressive, it's mean. My current status is I'm basically stage four of the two types of cancers I described. I have a tumor in my abdomen that looks like a football on end, ready for kicking. It's about five inches tall but it also is completely nested in the surrounding organs. I have uh, the 12 tumors in my lungs. I have about five tumors in my liver, um, tumor in my tailbone. Uh, I have over 25 tumors, and I have seven tumors in my ribs, so I look like a Christmas tree on the scanner. 
And that means I'm dealing with all of that. <clears throat> and um, my doctor called me and said, finally, you know, there's nothing more that medicine can do for you. So I knew exactly what to do, and that was to tell him, you know, okay, let's, let's start setting me up for end of life. So as a child, you're kind of learning how to take control of your own life. And then as an adult, you're always as close to Foley as we can be in control of your life. And it's hard to watch yourself kind of get weaker, less capable of things as you get older and older and have something like cancer. Are you Ray's daughter? daughter yeah. I understand that you got married recently. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Ray was telling me that he got to walk you down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And it was a blessing. And it was especially important because everyone knew the situation. And I got to dance with her. And I had to teach the kids to dance the day before. That's so funny. You know, it, was, it was just fun to be training people. My daughter and I had a good dance. And I recall my after we danced, my daughter gave me the most delightful hug. It was astounding. It was great. Uh-oh, he told this story. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> the morning of the wedding, he insisted on teaching us how to dance. I don't know. With anything he teaches, he really enjoys it and is so enthusiastic about it. And it's meaningful to him that people can gain the, the competency in whatever that activity is. He always says he knows a little about a lot of things, and I think he knows a lot about a lot of things, but part of that, too, is learning in any case he can and then teaching in any situation he can. So, yes, he definitely likes teaching. That's right. Can you sit over here, please? Me? You yes, me you. That's you. Okay. You're a musician. I'm, I would say I'm a percussionist, and I just enjoy um, any form of expression through rhythm. So what do we do? You're going to go four times, and then I join you, okay? okay. And then I'm going to play a little interlude. You know, and when you watch me, you watch my head and go, oh, down, three, four, one. That's the last note, okay? Are you ready? Yeah. Go ahead. You know, when you know you're dying, nothing can hurt you. Nothing's worse than dying. And you suddenly realize all the concerns that you're carrying are no longer relevant, so you've been unburdened. They're gone. You suddenly feel like it's just you. You're not carrying things around anymore. In other words, you always talk about baggage, baggage, baggage. But when you're dying, you get to throw all the baggage off your truck. Now you're all by yourself and just waving to your friends. So suddenly you have all this extra bandwidth for considering other things. In terms of natural beauty, I'm a nature guy, and you know, suddenly you're walking down the street and see just things of just delightful beauty. Suddenly just the right flower or the right look of sky can make me burst into tears. But what begins to happen is that every exchange you have with the natural world and every exchange you have with your friends begins to amp up times two, times three, four, five, times 10, the emotional value. So where are we here? Um, basically, we're in my master bedroom, and this is where I would like to die. So I'll be here with my closest family. The end-of-life option needs are just, just in a box, a separate box. Would you be able to show that to me? Sure, sure. It's not too complex. <clears throat> So we're going to take a little closet here. 
So here's the palliative care package. Then we come to here, and this is the drug package. So everything's clearly defined, all instructions, exactly what you do. Uh, what you're seeing are basically three sets of drugs, and I'm gonna have to pull up my instructions to make sure I get this in proper sequence. But basically... So it's a cocktail of three. Well, yeah, you take them as serious because A, you want to relax yourself, and B, you want to make sure you don't become nauseous and possibly vomit up the last drug during the phase. And then you take the final barbiturates. And then basically you lose consciousness in five minutes. And some people die within 10 or 15 minutes. Some people die within two or three hours. Um, I have a larger body. I'm a bigger guy. I suspect I might take longer. And uh, then I'll be picked up by the by the coroner, and that'll be it. I'll come back in a box completely cremated. Then when they're ready, then my ashes will be delivered to the bay. They'll be delivered to the bay in the same place we delivered my father's ashes. And those ashes will be delivered in the takeoff zone for the Boeing 314 from Pan American Airways back off the tip of Treasure Island. Oh, wow. So I'll go out with the tide, as my father did and as all the airlines, airplanes did. How often do you think about taking that pill? Um, you know, it's right in front of me. Uh, I'd say every other day or so, you know. What do you think it will say about you, if anything, if you choose to not do this? Um, I would imagine anyone would be tolerant of having a change in mind. None of us really know anything until we're right there. How I end this whole thing will be dictated upon my disease and my courage at the time. I may become fearful and not want to do it. You can control it. The captain shall exercise every ounce of everything he has in his body not to lose control of the vessel. I am the captain of this vessel. My body is my vessel, and I am its captain. So as long as I am competent, I get control over my vessel. It is my vessel. Death is ugly. Death is painful. Death is not this flip of a switch that a lot of people think it is. What, um, what will you miss the most about him? Um, sorry. I think just because we're so close, just all the lessons I've learned from him and everything I've shared with him, I'll miss. And it's hard to answer beyond that. you were talking about the idea of an ecstatic death. What is an ecstatic death? Well, it's a very happy death. You know, I'm discovering that this last phase of life is not something to be feared. It's, it's beautiful, and I feel sorry for people who miss it. Up until only five years ago, 
Maybe six years ago, I've been a staunch believer in, oh, please give me a quick death. I just want to drop dead. I don't want to be a vegetable. I don't want to be a burden. That's the old mantra. In fact, it's like leaving before the show's over. It's a beautiful last act, and no one should miss it. That's what I'm discovering now. Don't miss your last act if you can. This entire process has plunged me into the darkest part of the cave. So as an explorer, it's my duty to see and turn around and holler back out to you and say, it's not bad, don't fear it, don't fear it. In fact, if I can serve you well from this day forward, I want you to remember me saying, don't fear it, it's beautiful. Please remember me. I'll remember you. Oh, that's the hard part. Special thanks to producers Dominic Girard, David Swanson, and sound designer Sean Cole for their beautiful work on that piece. Thanks to Andrea Perman for sharing her experiences during this very difficult time. And most importantly, to Ray Perman for his bravery and vulnerability and honesty, and for allowing us into his home and sharing his precious remaining time. Ray died February 4, 2017, with family and loved ones by his side. And that's it for Relate this time around. In one week, a feature interview with journalist, writer, and radio personality, John Ronson. He's going to talk about his connection to the fringe of society. We're talking extremists, conspiracy theorists, psychopaths, New Age soldiers, pornographers, and trolls. He'll also tease his fascinating new podcast, The Butterfly Effect. That's coming up next week on Relate. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and we'll serve up that episode and a bunch of other great stories that we've got in the works. Also, I wanted to tell you that Zendesk has a big conference coming up in New York City. Relate Live New York happens October 23rd through 25th with a raft of amazing speakers like John Ronson, Martin Talks, and Damon John to help you take your customer service to the next level. For listeners of the podcast, you can sign up at relate.zendesk.com slash live. Use the promo code podcast and you get a $200 discount on your conference registration. Again, that's relate.zendesk.com slash live. I'm Tamara Stanners. Talk to you soon. Thank you.